Hey there, Lions. Did you know that you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content by joining our paid support group, the Lions of Liberty Pride? For as little as $5 a month, you can help us grow this program to new heights. Learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, it is time for another edition of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is a weekly show that focuses on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. This is only one of three shows that we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed. Of course, every Monday, we have a show hosted by Mark Clare, where he interviews leading minds in the liberty movement and hosts roundtable discussions. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture comedy, and liberty. And every Friday, this show right here, Felony Friday, and you can get all three of those shows delivered to your phone every single week by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Three separate shows for the price of one, and that price is free. Free from the government. Just kidding. The government's not involved. This is the 97th episode of Felony Friday, so that means you'll be able to find the show notes to this episode at lionsofliberty.com slash FF97. And before I get to my guest today, I want to tell you guys about a special offer we have going on through our friends at Health Excellence Plus. This is an incredible free market alternative to your standard corporate welfare health insurance. Now, you can find out more about Health Excellence Plus at lionsofliberty.com slash health. Today, my guest on Felony Friday is Daniel Wise. Daniel is the creator of the YouTube channel RDAP Dan, which provides real-world information for people to benefit from that may be facing federal prison sentences. RDAP stands for Residential Drug Addiction Program, and Wise says... This program changed his life by giving him the opportunity to reduce his prison term by 12 months and assisted an additional 11-month halfway house program. By utilizing RDAP, he was able to serve only 13 months in federal prison for a 42-month sentence. Daniel, welcome to Felony Friday. Uh, Thank you very much, John. Appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Daniel. I know you're a busy guy with your uh, YouTube channel and your and your business. You guys, I'll link to in the show notes. You got to check out Dan's YouTube channel. The amount of content on there, I didn't realize at first looking through it. I mean, you've you've done roughly how many uh, YouTube live shows or shows do you have on your channel? Uh, I think it's right around 250 right now. Yeah, so that, that'll take up, uh, if you binge watch those, that'll take up, I don't know, a couple days, maybe something like that. But, <laughs> but, but well worth it. And obviously I want to get into talking, you know, hearing about your story, hearing about, you know, the reasons why you started this YouTube channel, why you started your consulting business. But before we get to that, I kind of have a, uh, 
a video content creation question. Because as we were talking about in our pre-show chat here before, uh, we've talked about with, with Lions of Liberty, I've talked about with Mark and Brian, of maybe turning this, our podcast, into a, uh, a live video stream. And we're not there yet, but maybe soon we will be. And the question I have for you, Dan, is what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody with all the experience you have in creating video content? What is one piece of advice you would give to somebody who's looking to, to get into that field? Uh, it's funny you said that. We're actually I'm helping out with a class at the local library and starting a YouTube channel. Um, I would say the biggest thing is be consistent with your content and don't don't go crazy on getting the most expensive microphones, the most expensive lighting, the best computer out there because you got to make sure you're doing this for the right reasons. If you've got passion about whatever it is you're talking about, and I don't care if it's you know, why lint sticks to your pants. If you have enough interest in it and you talk about it enough, eventually people are going to start picking up what you're putting down and you just start to grow a following. So you got to do it from the heart. It doesn't matter what your equipment is. Do it from your cell phone. Just start with something and just over time, it gets better and better. Yeah, that's that's fantastic advice. And I can definitely attest to that. I know when I started this show, if if you guys want to go back and listen to my first episode, my first 10 episodes of Felony Friday, they probably weren't very good. Looking back, comparing them to, to today, comparing them to the questions being asked, the flow of the conversation. But you know what? You get better, you get better the more you do it. And you just have to start. You just got to dive in. So I think that's fantastic that you decided to do that, Daniel. And I want to talk a lot, You know, spend a lot of time today talking about the, the work you're doing and the topics you're talking about on that YouTube channel. But before we do that, let's kind of rewind and talk about some of the reasons why you're doing that and how you got interested in that. And of course, it's because you had your own personal experience with the criminal justice system. You had your own run-in with the law. So I think a good place to start, what what happened there uh, with you getting arrested? What, what led to your arrest? How did you get tied up in that situation? Uh, sure. So... This dates back to like 2010 when it kind of really all started. And what happened was is ever since my divorce in 2007, my life kind of spiraled out of control a little bit. Uh, Back in the day, you know, late 90s to mid 2000, I had a credit restoration company that was doing really well when the real estate industry, when the real estate industry was doing well. And when it kind of fell apart in the mid 2000s is also when my when my divorce started, the issue for needing money, uh, focusing on what I need to do, not seeing my kids all the time anymore because I no longer lived with them. I just kind of spiraled out of control and I was going from job to job and I ended up working at a call center in Boca Raton, Florida. And they were interested in doing credit restoration. So they had me start this small credit restoration side in their call center in Boca. But I noticed that they were constantly talking about opening an office in Savannah, Georgia as a pain clinic. I didn't really know much about pain clinics or the most common term everybody hears, pill mills. I didn't know a whole lot about them as I'd never really got heavily into the drug scene, just pretty much marijuana and a little bit of drinking here and there. So... I started asking them more about it because I constantly heard them talking about all the money that this company could potentially make. And I said, is there any way that I can get involved? So they started vetting me a little bit and they found out that I basically was really good with managing people. 
and that I was not some kind of a crazy drug addict where potentially I was going to steal all of the possible pills that this place was going to have. So they agreed to give me the position as an office manager, even though I had zero medical experience and never worked in a doctor's office in the day of my life. And part of the agreement was if I was going to move up there, I wanted to be able to hire some of my own people because I had my girlfriend, Shelly at the time, who's still my girlfriend to today. So I said, you know, can we give her a job? And my best friend, Costa, can we give him a job? And they said, absolutely. So the three of us moved up to Savannah, Georgia to work at this pain clinic. And prior to it opening, they wanted us to conduct marketing strategies. So basically what they had us doing, and for those people that don't understand what a pain clinic is, pain clinic epidemic in Florida was real big where people would drive from like Kentucky and Ohio all the way to Florida to be able to get the prescription that they were trying to get, which is oxycodone, Percocets, um, Oxycontin, things like that. So what we decided to do was open an office in Georgia, which was pretty much in between all of these other states. So they didn't have to drive all the way to Florida. We started going to the pain clinics in Florida, renting hotel rooms with about three or four of us. One guy would be up in the hotel with binoculars. Another guy would be on the ground in the car right across the street from these pain clinics. And as we would see patients pull out, we would look for the license plates to see who had to pass Georgia. We would flag these people down, chase them down, and basically tell them, hey, next time you need to go see a doctor, instead of driving all the way to Florida, you can stop off in Savannah, Georgia, right off I-95, and we have a doctor that will write the type of prescription that you're looking for. And it was pretty weird chasing people down and pulling them over. They were completely terrified. If I could just go jump ahead. in real quick. So so why so why did they have to drive all the way to Florida? That was the only place where they could find a doctor to write that prescription? Well, there had been a lot of laws that had passed, and I'm trying to remember the name of the software. It was called, uh, I think it's called the Casper system. And what the Casper system is, is if you go to a doctor in, let's say, um, if you go to a doctor in Ohio or Kentucky and you go see that doctor, it automatically gets logged into a system. So if you try to go to another doctor, they all share that same system and they can see that you've already got your prescription because you can only get one prescription every 30 days. You can't. It's called doctor shopping if you start going from doctor to doctor. Well, Georgia and Florida didn't have any kind of system. So there was no way for us to check and see if they've already gotten their prescriptions filled. So people would drive down there knowing because of the markup that they okay. could sell these pills for. That's why, that's why they were coming down there. So that's a really good question. Um, and other than that, what happened was is once we actually opened up the office, they brought me back to the office we were seeing maybe 15, 20 patients a day. Patients would come in, they'd pay a prescription fee or a doctor visit fee. They would see the doctor, a doctor would write him a prescription, then they'd have to go to a pharmacy and get it filled. We were not open very long at all, a couple of months. And then uh, the feds came in, they stormed the pain clinic. They, I was at a different pain clinic that they'd sent me into, uh, into Atlanta that they had just opened. I was there the day everybody got raided, and I didn't know that the office had got raided. I logged into the cameras. The cameras were down. I called Shelly. She wasn't answering the phone. I called Costa. He wasn't answering the phone. I called the next-door neighbor who had a little hamburger joint, and he's the one that told me that there was about 50 federal agents outside of this pain clinic, and they were all looking for me. Um, I immediately got in my car, getting ready to drive there to go because I didn't know what had happened at this point. Before I could even pull out of the parking lot, I heard a tap on the window and I looked over and they said my name. And as soon as I said, yeah, I'm Dan, just agents came out of everywhere. And that's wow. basically the, that's when they arrested me initially. So did you have any idea at the time that this was, I'm assuming this was entirely illegal operating this, this pain clinic? 
Um, honestly, to this day, I don't know what illegal was about it. I know that it was, I started to feel like it was unethical because people were driving so far to see the doctor, but there was technically no law to stop them from doing that. Um, everybody that came in the door had a valid MRI. And basically when you go see a pain doctor, you have to bring an MRI, a recent MRI, I think within the last 60 days or 90 days mm -hmm. showing what's wrong with you. And then the doctor deems whether it's necessary or not, whether you need these type of pain pills and most people brought their prescription history with them, showing what they needed. Now, from time to time, we would want to verify and make sure that this was legit. So we would call the place that conducted the MRI to make sure that the patient's name that was on the MRI that they gave us wasn't photoshopped. And we would find out sometimes that they would tell us, hey, this patient just had an MRI sent to ABC pain clinic. We would call that pain clinic, find out that they'd already been seen there and got a prescription, and we wouldn't see the patient. We would discharge them. Right. So we really kind of thought that we were doing things that we needed to do to prevent getting in trouble. Now, unethically, I knew it was completely unethical because I saw the type of people that were rolling through the door. Um, but I honestly didn't think it was something that I could go to jail for at the time. So you get arrested. There's this, this big raid. I'm assuming you get out on bail after that. At what point did it set in that you were going to be spending real time in prison? So this was uh, May of 2011 when, when that initial arrest happened. I sat in county jail for, I want to say it was like seven to 10 days. And then I bonded out <clears throat> and I had an attorney appointed to me, a federally appointed attorney, a really good guy by the name of Dennis O'Brien, who I still talk to, to today. But once he told me that there was a plea on the table, a 60-month cap, and I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, the most time they can give you is 60 months. I was like, well, the most time? I was like, I don't want to go to prison at all. And he's like, well, that's not an option. You're, you're going to have to do some time here. And I wasn't okay with hearing that. And I felt like, okay, this is because I have an appointed attorney. So I, I got rid of my appointed attorney. I went and hired an attorney, another really good guy by the name of Robert Nye, and in the end, it ended up being the same plea on the table. And it took me a good year and a half, two years to really digest the idea that I was actually going to federal prison. And it was really hard to hear this because all of your friends and family are telling you, oh, no, the judge is going to see that you're a good guy. They're not going to send people like you to prison. Prisons are only reserved for murderers, sex offenders and you know rapists and really bad people. Um and I wanted to believe that. And a part of me held on to that little bit of hope that I wasn't going to go to prison. And, you know, ultimately I was sentenced to 42 months and it became real because Shelly, my girlfriend, who was also indicted on this case, she was sentenced prior to me and everybody, all of our attorneys all thought she was going to get probation. And when the judge handed her a 13 month sentence for being the receptionist answering the phones, I immediately knew that, oh my God, I'm probably going to get the full 60 months. Um, I was terrified, completely terrified. So leading up to the, to the start of that sentence, obviously your, your fiance, your, your girlfriend at the time started serving that sentence ahead of you. What, what was going through your mind as you got closer to, to starting that sentence? Oh, geez, man. It was... You know, the best way I can describe it is when I was packing up my house, because I didn't have anywhere to send my stuff. I didn't have storage. Uh, I was wiped out financially. So I was packing up my belongings to bring to a friend's house. And the best thing that I could relate it to was when my father passed away, when I was packing up his house, 
that's what it felt like. It felt like I was packing up the belongings of a dead person, even though I wasn't going to prison for the rest of my life. Um, when you don't think you're ever going to go to prison and now you're facing 42 months. And this is before I knew about RDAP or any of that good stuff. I was just completely mentally defeated. Uh, I didn't want to take it serious. Um, you know, I drove Shelly to self-surrender. We both went to the same prison. So I got to drive to the prison that I was going to be self-surrendering to a couple months later. And I got to see what it looked like, where it was. And I can tell you that did not help uh, ease any of the anxiety. I saw the razor wire. I saw the people behind the fence. Um, it just looked like I'm going to go get my ass handed to me in prison. I was terrified. Not, not a fun experience. So you, you just mentioned RDAP. So you, you start serving out your prison sentence. How, how long did it take until you, you learned about this program and, and started to uh, participate in it? Well, I knew a little bit about the program before I went to prison because I started doing some uh, research on the internet. And just a week before I went to prison is when I posted my my first YouTube video before I went to prison. I was talking about my experience of being terrified and didn't know what to expect. And we'll get into that later. But that's how the YouTube channel ended up originally getting started. So when I got to prison, I was so hell bent on not uh, not allowing this this situation to completely defeat me that I felt like I couldn't take it too serious. So I decided, and I just sent you, I, I tagged you on a Facebook picture. So if you want to see it while you're talking to me to put this image in your mind, I went to the Halloween store and I bought a prison costume, a black and white pinstripe prison costume. And I put it on and actually wore it into the prison gates the day I self-surrendered. So I showed up in a goofy inmate costume, which they did not think was funny at all it did not create the uh it did not create the buzz that i thought it was going to create so i wonder if anyone had done that before if you were the first they had person to they, do that. They, I, honestly I, uh, as far as i know right now i'm the only one that's ever done it according to the prison system um and it ended up working out to my benefit in the end but that day they thought maybe i was crazy now i was told that i was going to go to a camp because i had camp points never been in trouble and i realized like wait a minute Coleman, the prison that I went to only has one camp and it's a women's camp only. So they sent me to the low and right after getting into the low, I found out that I was not eligible for RDAP because I had an open detainer that was never dispositioned properly. So I had this open case technically that was part of this federal case. The state originally picked it up and then the state dropped the charges when the feds picked it up, but the state did not dismiss the case properly. So it still showed an open warrant. So when you have an open warrant or any kind of open detainer, open case, that prevents you from RDAP, that prevents you from going to a camp, and it also prevents you from any from any halfway house at all. Um, it took me literally the next RDAP class didn't start until January 13th. I got there September 23rd of 2014. From 2000, uh, from September 23rd 2014 to January 11th 2015. It took me that much time to get my case dismissed literally 24 hours before the next class started. If I wouldn't have had it done within that time frame, I would have missed RDAP altogether. So you talked about uh, something else in your videos that helped you out with shortening your sentence called the Second Chance Act. And you actually just talked about it in a recent YouTube video. Can you explain how that works or what the Second Chance Act is? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good question, John, because there's a lot of prison consultants out there right now that are really using this to bait people in to hire them, telling them they're going to help them fill out paperwork or guarantee they're going to qualify for the Second Chance Act. What the Second Chance Act is, is basically it was a law that was put into play 
in 2008 saying that uh, federal inmates, and it's not just for it's not just to get time off a of federal prison. There's also programs to help with uh, extra classes, learning programs outside of prison. But the Second Chance Act, as far as the federal prison is concerned, is if you get accepted and you qualify for the Second Chance Act, it can reduce your sentence up to 12 months. Just because you qualify does not mean that you're going to get it. Uh, plenty of people do not get it every day for no reason. It's just B BOP has the discretion whether or not they give it to you or not. So. For me, when I went through the RDAP program, RDAP is a 10-month intense program, which completely changed my life as far as how I think, how I view my own self, uh, focusing on consequences, realizing my own actions and the consequences, how it affected my family. When I finished the program, they gave me six months halfway house, and I asked for additional halfway house, and I was denied. So we ended up hiring a lady, same lady that helps us now with a lot of our clients, getting them additional halfway house time. We hired a lady who basically wrote a really powerful narrative. She created a progress report of all of my success of what I've done while I was in prison and resubmitted this information to my case manager, the case manager coordinator, the assistant warden, as well as Grand Prairie, Texas. And within about a week and a half, it came back approved. And I went from six months halfway house to 11 months halfway house. So what people, the misconception of that is, is some, there's something piece of paper that they need to fill out. People constantly call me and say, Hey, where, how do I find this application for the second chance act? There is no application. It's just a matter of getting them to put you in for it or not. You just talked about there getting your halfway house stay extended, getting it almost doubled, right? So what would be the motivation for that? Um, the, the motivation, what do you mean the motivation for it? You, you, maybe I'm not understanding it right. You got it extended from six months to 11 months? Yes. Yeah, so, so I got to. So it's more time in the halfway house, right? Correct. That's so, less so time in the prison. Less more time. time in okay, the I got you. I got you. So it's a trade off. Okay. Just want to make sure right. I understood that. So just so you know, when you're when you're in prison, the BO, when you're in the BOP, whether you're in the BOP, the halfways or home confinement, it's all considered you're still serving part of your prison sentence. Got you. And that uh, that kind of plays into what's happening now, which you've talked about recently on your show with budget cuts to the prison system. And now there's less halfway houses losing those resources. So more people are spending more time in prison. They can't get into the halfway house. Maybe kind of diverting here quickly, but just on that topic right there, because I did hear you just talk about it. What kind of effect do you think that can have really, really long term on all of these people in the prison system? Well, first off, their whole reason for saying why they're doing it is to save money. And it's it's not going to save money in the long run, John, because, okay, I didn't serve a lengthy sentence. Technically, I probably didn't need halfway house time. I could have went straight home. And the only real difference was is from the iPhone 4, there was now an iPhone 5. For some of these guys that have been down 15, 20 years, they have nothing to come home to. So to only give them 30 to 60 days halfway house time, that is not enough time for them to find a job, get, uh, or get a job, save money, first, last, and security. It's, it's not enough time to reintegrate back into society. So it's just going to be a revolving door. They're going to enter right back into the prison system because all they know is to go out there and you know throw drugs around, slinging guns, whatever it is. It's going to land them right back in the system. So- I tried to make a few phone calls yesterday, and part of the problem is this. So you have policymakers that are making, putting policies in place like the Second Chance Act. When you call them 
I spoke to them yesterday. I was on the phone and I don't want to say names because I'm trying to work something out with them to, to fill them in on the gaps. But I was on the phone with, with a, an individual yesterday who was part of the policy change for the Second Chance Act. And when I asked him how this is affecting RDAP and how it's affecting additional halfway house in the Second Chance Act, they don't even know how RDAP works. They don't know that there's a required amount of time for halfway house. So there's this giant gap in disconnect from what one policymaker is doing to what another another policymaker is doing to where nobody actually knows the ultimate effect. So until these are all bridged together where you get different people sitting down to come up with an actual solution, it's just going to be running amok. They're going to see that it's not working. And then they're going to bring it back and someone's going to be this big hero for bringing it back. So I, I don't understand what their end game is right now. Yeah, they're just I guess they're just thinking, looking at it just entirely from a right now point of view. Yep. It's less money spent today, but obviously that's over time. It's it's going to it's it's not good. And it's uh, it's it's very bad for for all of these people tied up in the criminal justice system. It's, it's really it's an unfortunate situation. I know many of you are facing major decisions with your healthcare right now, and I want to make sure that you know about an amazing alternative to your standard corporatized health insurance known as Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible program that helps you keep medical costs under control by taking charge of your own healthcare and not leaving all the decisions about what doctors you see, and what procedures you need or don't need up to some corporate bureaucrat. Along with providing 24-7 access to medical professionals, tax-deferred health savings accounts, and preventative care, Health Excellence Plus empowers you to finally take control of your health care. To learn more, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health or call the special hotline for Lions of Liberty listeners at 855-290-4447. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. So I've heard you talk about before on your show saying to beware of prison consultants. Can you kind of ex- expand on that? And, and you talked about it earlier on prison consultants who don't understand the Second Chance Act and you know a- advertise it, that they can help you help you use it. Why should people going into prison? Maybe someone listening to this podcast. What should they watch out for if if they want to pick a prison consultant? So here's the thing. When you're getting ready to go to prison, now this doesn't apply to everybody. This applies to mostly first-time offenders, nonviolent offenders, people that don't understand and have never been to prison before, don't know what to expect. They're only The only real thing they can relate to is what they've seen on TV, the TV show Oz or Locked Up Abroad or basically anything negative about prison. So there's a, a giant fear factor that's involved. And what I've noticed is there's a lot of prison. I I don't want to go out on a limb and say every prison consultant because it's not every single person, but the majority of them, what they do is they target white collar criminals because they know white collar criminals probably have a very expensive legal defense up in the high six figures and they have no problem spending five, 10, 15, $20,000 for a prison consultant. What the prison consultant is doing is reducing their anxiety and trying to potentially mitigate the circumstances they're in to help them serve a shorter sentence by, there's only a couple of prison consultants out there that I can say actually do these, that actually do good work. Uh, Michael Santos does amazing work. Um, Justin Properni does really good work. 
because they're actually doing more than just telling you, go get into RDAP. They're, del- they're helping you with your personal narratives. These are letters that are your letter that you're going to be writing to the judge. Character reference letters. These are letters that your friends and family are going to be writing to the judge, helping you prepare for what's called a pre-sentence report. Once you either accept your plea or you're found guilty, you're going to be meeting with a U.S. probation officer that is going to be conducting an interview that's going to go through your entire life history. And a big portion of that is going to talk about substance abuse. So, and I hate it when I get these calls from clients because they'll tell me, hey, you know, uh, I just accepted my plea or I'm getting sentenced next week. And I ask them, did you already do your pre-sentence report? Yes, I did. Well, when they asked you about your substance abuse, what did you tell them? Well, I told them I don't, I don't drink or anything. Well, well do you? Well, yeah, but I was afraid if I told them that I drank, that that's going to either give me more time or it's going to hurt me somehow. And the attorneys don't explain this to them. And what happens is that point when they made that decision to not be honest about their drinking, whether it be prescription pills, alcohol, marijuana, whatever it is, when they made that choice to not be completely honest about it, they probably completely shot themselves in the foot to not be eligible for the RDAP for residential drug addiction program, which can reduce their sentence. So trying to really prepare somebody for life after prison, because John, preparation to release, to having a successful integration back into society starts well before you ever enter the prison system. When you can put that anxiety aside and you can sleep at night because you realize where you're going is not the end of the world. Prison was not at all what I expected it to be. It was comprised of a, of a half a mile track. There was two softball fields. There was a football field. There was basketball. There was tennis. There was volleyball. There was um, a full fitness area. There was pool tables. There was several classes to take. There wasn't a lot of violence. You know, now there are prisons that are very much the opposite. But for the type of people that are coming to our channel that need this help, they're not going to the scary places where they have to worry about getting stabbed or beat up or raped. But they don't know that. That's why the suicide rate is so high for people that are going through this because they don't have anybody to actually talk to. So the injustice that almost every prison consultant is doing is by labeling such a high price tag, what it's doing is it's completely devaluing the actual people that need this actual service. Whether you're a white collar criminal that's a multimillionaire or you're a low low end first time drug offender that got caught with, you know, whether it was a little bit of meth or you got caught with some marijuana or you got caught cheating on your taxes, whatever it is, but you can't afford 10 or $15,000. So you're left to fend for this on your own. And the anxiety of going to prison is far worse than the prison sentence itself. Obviously this, this is a topic, you know, a lot about you've experienced it yourself. You talked about earlier, you recorded a video before you went into prison. It did very well on YouTube you get out of prison. What motivated you at that point to start making videos again and trying to help people? So I got out of prison in 2015. On my 42-month sentence, I ended up only serving 13 months thanks to good time, 12 months off for RDAP, and 11 months halfway house. So a 13-month sentence on 42 months was in my mind, a huge victory. So I get my first job out of the halfway house and I was very fortunate. Um, I had a, I have a good friend by the name of Casey Cochran who lives in Palm Beach, Florida, has a company called Fit Food Fresh. I was able to get a job working for Casey while I was in Washington state doing sales and sales management for his company from Washington. Being I'm on the West coast and he's on the East coast, 
the hours of operation come three o'clock in the afternoon. It's six o'clock on the East Coast. I'm completely done working for the day. However, because he was my friend, he decided to keep me on the payroll till about nine o'clock my time just to keep me out of the halfway house. So I was able to hang out in my private little office that they had purchased for me in Spokane, Washington. So from three to nine at night, I started checking my emails and I saw thousands of views on this video that I made before I went to prison with hundreds of comments. And when I started reading the comments, what blew my mind is almost every comment was from somebody getting ready to potentially go to prison that had all of the same exact fear and anxiety that I had. So I was like, eh, why not just start making response videos? Never had intention of turning it into a company, never had intention of being a prison consultant, didn't want to make money on this. I just wanted to put out the information because I knew what they were going through. And I started talking on YouTube. And, if, and just like you said, if you go back and watch some of my first videos, you'll just see this skinny guy with, you know, really just kind of talking to a microphone. And before I knew it, people started calling me, started emailing me and asking me if they could potentially hire me. And that's when I found out, it's like, wow, there's an actual market for this. And I started checking the market to see what other people were doing. And when I started talking to these other prison consultants that were charging 10 grand, $15,000, and I'm like, well, why are you charging this much? They got very put off the fact that I'm probably the number one hated guy in the industry from everybody else in the industry because of the prices that I charge. I charge $1,500 where everybody else is charging five, 10 grand. And we do probably 30, 40% more than what the top prison consultant is trying to do right now because it comes from a point of passion. We do this, everybody that's involved with federal prison time does this because they want to help people. None of us are doing it to get rich. So is that 1500? That's regardless of you know what, what the what the crime the person is convicted doesn't matter doesn't matter fifteen hundred dollars no matter what point you are in the case if you're going to hire us it's going to be fifteen hundred dollars we have sponsors that are just wealthy people that really believe in what we're doing and every year we get a certain each year changes a little bit we're getting ready to go into our second year so we've been promised going into 2018 we've been promised additional monies and what this money does is it goes for the people that will call us up that don't have any money that have zero it goes to cover for the cost of the writing of the letters preparing them for their psr because there really is people like well what does a prison consultant really do don't you just tell people like how to fight and how to build a shank and how not to get beat up in prison. It's like, no, it's, it's not like the movie get hard at all. It's, it's more of like a life coaching process. People will call you at two in the morning that can't sleep. They're anxiety ridden. They don't know how to tell their children. Uh, they haven't taken full responsibility for their actions yet. They're still blaming the government or they're blaming the person that told on them. But at some point, just like myself, I allowed myself to work in a situation that deep down inside I knew was not the best of situations. There was something wrong about it and I felt it. And once you get to the real root of the problem, if you're not, once you're willing to make these changes and open up and see and focus on consequences, people start making real progress. I just got a client today and I wish I could have got him on the air with us. His name is Jay Hugason and he was looking at 40 something months. He was given uh, six months of ankle monitor and five years of federal probation. And the judge flat out told him it's because of everything that you've done to prepare. When Jay came to us, he didn't know what to do. We put Jay into, uh, into a rehab program as far as going to NA and AA meetings on almost a daily basis. We had him logged over a, a little over 2000 hours of community service. He had amazing personal narrative, amazing character reference letters, 
all of the hard work and the effort and the preparation that he put into his sentencing, the judge flat out told him, I can't send you to prison. And it completely pissed off the prosecutors. The prosecutors were hell bent on going to prison. We've got two clients that this has happened for, and they are great testimonies to what we do because I can tell you how to walk. I can tell you how to drink this water, but if you're not willing to to pick up the initiative and run with the ball, I can tell you until I'm blue in the face what to do. These clients are willing to work their asses off for a positive outcome. And Jay was one of those clients that went through a sponsorship program where I think he paid a total of like $300. If it wouldn't have been for that, he never would have had the ability to do this because every other prison consultant was going to charge him a minimum of three to five grand that he just did not have. Yeah, this is stuff. Well, with Holly, when uh, Holly Kuhlman was on, she talked about the pre-sentence report and how important that was get, getting that together before she started. Um, with the pre-sentence report, how, how long in advance before your sentencing does that have to be submitted to the judge? Well, the pre-sentence report happens after you take your plea or you're found guilty. So technically, you're supposed to have about a month the, the pre-sentence report is supposed to be finished and completed. So when they do the interview with you, it usually takes them a couple of weeks to, to finish that interview. Once they finish that interview, they then create the report and then they submit the report to your attorney. Your attorney gives it to you and you have a period of time to review it to make sure it's accurate. So it's supposed to be about 30 days before, you, before you're sentenced to give them the, the accurate amount of time. And just before I forget real quick, anybody that's listening out there, you want to have your personal narrative, your letter to the judge, you want to have that completed before you do your pre-sentence report investigation with the probation officer. The main reason, John, is what people don't understand is that report is just not some basic report. That report is going to be given to the judge as a recommendation as to what type of sentence that they should impose on you. So if you actually have a well-written personal narrative and it's done right, explaining how you're being accountable, what action-based you've done, you're giving that to the probation officer that's going to be conducting this report. It gives the probation officer so much more information about who you really are, and it increases the odds of a better recommendation to the judge. It makes sense. It's not something you hear a lot of people talk about, but yeah, that makes perfect sense. I like how you talked about before you brought up um, you know, what, what to tell your kids. How do you... Br- Tell your kids that you're going to prison. And you actually have a video with that title. So could, could you just give a, give a couple nuggets from that video of what, what, what's, the, you know, what's your advice on somebody who out there listening who found out they're going to prison? How would, you, how would you talk to your kids about that? Yeah, that's a real rough subject because my kids were, at the time, they were 14 and 12 going through this situation. And... I didn't know what to tell them. Now, this is going to really what's going to determine how you tell your kids is going to age is obviously going to play a factor. If you have little ones, two, three, four, five, six, seven years old, you know, you can't just go, hey, I'm going to prison because they can't comprehend it. But if your kids are old enough to comprehend jokes and they're watching Family Guy on TV and they're 13 to older, the best policy is to be honest with them and tell them early on what's going on, because what I see happen all the time is clients that are getting sentenced like next week and they're just now getting ready to tell their kids. And they call me up like, oh, I told my kids, my kids took it great. Now, when I told my children, I told them about a year before I actually went to prison. I finally like got the guts to tell them, sat down, explained it to them. And there was pretty much this dead silence. They didn't really respond. They didn't, and immediately they were very happy to change the subject and talk about something else. But what I wasn't prepared for is about three months later, 
when it started sinking in and they started to process it. When you listen to your children cry and ask you, please don't leave, please don't leave. It, it rips you apart. And I'm so thankful that I was there when that conversation took place. Cause I didn't have to do it over a phone in prison. That was going to be cut off. I got to, to sit there and, and, and help them process this and, and deal with this the best that I could and being honest with them and telling them that I screwed up and I made a mistake and not blaming it on the system because I mean, we all know the system is, is broken in a lot of areas, but the last thing you want to do is have your kids growing up thinking they can't tell a police officer something, or they can't go to the school cops and tell them that, you know, they're, they're being molested or, or raped. So I didn't want them to have this fear of, of the government because I ultimately put myself in that situation. I think that really helped my situation and my relationship with my children throughout the prison system because the day I actually self-surrendered, they were prepared for it as much as they could be. As a matter of fact, on my drive up there, I called my kids as I was getting ready to walk in and my older daughter, she was 15 at the time, she's like, dad, don't drop the soap. Like, she had processed it so much that she had realized that this isn't going to be the end of the world, that we are going to get through this. If we hadn't had that conversation early on, I don't know how it would have gone. It might have gone very ugly. That, that's what I like so much about your advice. It's it's real. I mean, it's not stuff that I'm, I'm seeing really coming from coming from anyone else in the, in the prison consulting business. And uh, I, I appreciate your, your honesty there. Obviously, a, a very difficult uh, subject to talk about. And uh, Daniel, I'm, I'm going to let you go in a minute here. I do have one more question for you. Before I ask that question, though, I just want to let the Felony Friday audience know that I'm actually going to be on Daniel's show. We're recording this on Tuesday, and I'll be on his live YouTube show on Wednesday, but you're not going to hear this until Friday. So <laughs> if, if, if you haven't if you haven't seen it yet on our Lions of Liberty Facebook page, which I'll link to it there, um, I will also link to it in the show notes of uh, for this podcast. You can find it there. But so we'll, we'll talk more about all this stuff tomorrow, I, I'm sure. And uh, if you tune in, if you haven't heard my background and why I am so passionate about criminal justice reform, uh, I'm hoping that Daniel will uh, ask me about that. So one more question, Daniel, before before I let you go, someone listening to this is getting ready to go into prison or a family member of someone uh, who's close to them is getting ready to go into prison. What is one piece of advice that you would give them? The best advice I can say to somebody that's getting ready to face this is do not allow yourself to dwell on the negativity to where it prevents you from getting up and getting positive. Talk to somebody, whether it be me Pick up a Tony Robbins book called Awaken the Giant Within and allow yourself to process what's going on, but do not trust that your attorney is going to do everything that needs to happen. No one is going to work harder on your own situation than you are, so you have to take charge of your own life. And I promise you, this part of going through what you're going through right now is the hardest part. Prison will seem like a breeze compared to this. Well, that is great advice. Also great advice for just in life, take charge of your own life. I, I, I love that. Stop making excuses, take ownership of it. Daniel, could you please uh, tell my audience where they can find out more about you, where they can find your YouTube channel, where they can find more about your consulting business? 
Absolutely. So I'm pretty much on every social media, whether Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, under RDAPDAN. That's R is in Robert, D is in David, A is in Apple, P is in Peter, stands for Residential Drug Addiction Program. So RDAPDAN. My YouTube channel is RDAPDAN. My email is RDAPDAN at gmail.com. My website, I think I already said, RDAP, is RDAPDAN.com. And my phone line is always open, 509 509- four, three, four, four, six, nine, five text, email me anytime you want. And please come join my YouTube channel. We have three live weekly shows every Monday and Wednesday at five 30 PM Pacific standard time. That's eight 30 PM Eastern time. And on Saturday at 1 PM Pacific time, which is 4 PM Eastern time. And it's always live. It's always real. And I'd love to hear from you. There you go, guys. I think you're the first guest to give absolutely every possible way to uh, to contact you. So that's people have no excuse if they want to get a hold of you. You've you put it all out there. I love that. So Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm looking forward to uh, to talking with you tomorrow too. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Have a great night. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode with Daniel Wise, aka RDAP Dan. He's a guy who is moving and shaking making all kinds of noise in the criminal justice reform movement. And he's not sitting on the sidelines. He's taking action. He does several YouTube live videos every single week. And I was actually on his uh, his YouTube live this past Wednesday. So if you haven't seen that, then I'll link to it on the show notes page and check that out. Had a great time with Daniel doing that YouTube live, my first ever YouTube live And it's made me think maybe, possibly, that some live video is something that we need to incorporate here at Lions of Liberty and here on Felony Friday. So stay tuned. Uh, Nothing is imminent, but uh, wheels are in motion. Let's, uh, Let's just leave it at that. And please check out, obviously, Dan's YouTube channel, his website, all that stuff, Twitter, Facebook. I'll link to everything on the show notes page. So please Give Dan some love. He's a great guy doing big things in the criminal justice world. If you guys enjoyed this show and you want to hear more shows outside of your standard Monday show with Mark, Wednesday show with Brian, and this Friday show, then you probably want to consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride because we are pumping out all kinds of content. Last month, we pumped out more Pride content than we did regular content, which is pretty freaking amazing. So... Every week, you're going to get a Degenerate Gamblers episode with myself, Brian McWilliams, and Rico picking college football and pro football games. doesn't have a whole lot to do with Liberty, but we do talk Liberty as we pick the games. And it's all fake money. Don't worry. We're not placing any bets. We're not breaking any laws. Also, there's frequent conspiracy theory roundtables hosted by Mark Clare. He's normally bringing on Rico, of course, and Howie Snowden and... Brian and JB will will pop in there as well. And then we just have uh, you know some extra shows. Last week with Aaron Comey, I did an extra interview with him. Some questions, getting to know him, his path to liberty. That was a cool interview. We do stuff like that all the time. Brian does rants. He does some bonus rant pluses and minuses, things like that. If you guys enjoy what we do, five bucks a month, you can get a lot more content. 10 bucks a month, you get the content and you get some freebies as well, free t-shirt, things like that. 25, you get all that stuff. And on top of that, we have a, a week, a, a monthly conference call 
where you guys can bounce ideas off of us, shoot the shit, talk about whatever the heck you want. So we look forward to getting more of you guys in the Alliance of Liberty Pride. We do have a special offer that expires today. It expires today if you join at the $5 level. In addition to the bonus content, we will give you a free koozie. $10 level, in addition to the bonus content, the free t-shirt, the free koozie, we will give you a free poster, either Alliance of Liberty poster with that logo there. You can get a Felony Friday poster or an Electric Liberty Land poster, whatever you want. You can, of course, join the Alliance of Liberty Pride by going to lionsofliberty.com slash support. And the last thing I want to talk about, Donor C, guys, Donor C right now Donor C is a direct charity funding site. All of the funds raised go directly to the charities, go directly to the projects that they are funding. And there's a project right now on Donor C. Of course, we all know about the tragic shooting that happened in Texas outside of San Antonio, leaving, I think it was 26 people dead. And there were eight people from one family that passed away. And this project is going to fund, initial goal of funding, paying for one funeral for uh, this family that is just going through something that is just completely unimaginable on every single level. It's just just a horrible, horrible situation. So please consider if you can, you know, I would much rather have you donate to this, donate money to this Donor Seed Project, which I'll link to on the show notes page, than give money to the Pride. So Channel any extra money you have, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, a hundred dollars, anything you can give, please um, think about, consider giving it to this Donor C project. I don't think there is a more worthy cause. That's all I have, guys. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. As always, this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.